Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the feminist podcast that is street smart and book smart. Today we have Kellen, Laura, and Ozzy. And today we are talking about the publishing industry, um, the favorite industry for um, rom-com protagonists. Um, Maybe we have some of those with us today who's to say. We are unfortunately are not going to be wading into any Twitter controversies between YA authors. And I'm sorry if that disappoints. That is just not what we are here for. No, sorry. We're not. Who cares? Um, Instead, we have... Two amazing folks who are here to talk with us about their experiences in publishing, the ways that the industry exploits the people who make it run, the way that the industry itself runs, organizing, making books, all of that kind of good stuff. So with that being said, um, do you all want to introduce yourselves? Welcome to Season of the Bitch. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'll start. My name that I'm using today is Anne. <laughs> yes. Um And just to give a brief background, I uh, started as an intern in publishing and then worked a couple different positions in advertising and marketing uh, within publishing for about just under 10 years before uh, I left in the past year. I'm out. I'm out of the game. Congratulations. We're so happy for you. Also, Um, what's your um, sun sign? Oh, yes. Important. Virgo. And I'm very happy to have you on the podcast today as Virgo representation. Unfortunately, Zoe is not with us. They are a little bit biased against Virgos sometimes, but I'm really happy that you're here to to say hashtag not all Virgos. So welcome. (laughs) Thank you. To be determined, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And hi, everyone. I'm Catherine. Um, So I also started as an intern, an unpaid intern in publishing. Nice. Um, I actually interned for a really, really long time while I was in college while also working a bunch of other part-time jobs that actually did pay money. Um, And then I had a unique situation of joining the publishing industry during the pandemic. Um, Mm. So I graduated college in the pandemic, joined the publishing industry during the pandemic completely virtually, didn't meet any of my coworkers for about a year. Um, and I am still here. I have now met my coworkers, um, <laughs> but I am a junior employee in the publicity and marketing space. And I've been in the industry for coming on two years now, if you don't okay. count the internship experience, which some people don't. That's rude, <laughs> honestly. They've taken so much from you. Well, Catherine, what's <laughs> your sun sign? Uh, is that just like the main one? I know that's such a plead question. I'm an Aries. We love to see it. Laura is also an Aries, as am I. Fabulous. Sorry we, that uh, that's not the same reception that you got, Anne. Listen, <laughs> I, I have such a soft spot for Virgos. I was just- I do too. I stand in my Virgo truth, and I'm here to bring that earth sign clarity and critical eye. Yes. And we appreciate it. We love it. We love it. I think there's strength in numbers, just, just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ozzy, thank you for bringing water sign. God, yeah, I know. I'm the lone water sign in this conversation. I mean, I'm basically (laughs) a water sign, though. (laughs) So true. I'm rising. Oh, man. Yeah. So um, I'm just kind of curious because, you know, publishing is such a industry. It's such a choice, you know? Um, And I guess I'm curious what drew y'all to this field before you even had a job in the industry? Like, was there something that made you want to go into publishing? Well, it wasn't the money. Um, <laughs> actually not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can speak for myself and say that, um, I don't know, I think this is pretty true for most people who do decide to join the industry because you're right, it very much is a choice. Um, but I just really, really care about books. I Mm. have loved books for as long as I can remember. It's one of my biggest passions, not even in like a cheesy book talk way, but just like a, like books have been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Books Um, are everything. They're everything. And I care very deeply about like the English teachers I've had who have helped me like 
you know, discover my relationship like gay to allies too. <laughs> they tr- so they cool. truly are. That that is another thing is uh, I am I am a queer woman, and so by joining the industry, I thought that you know I could do something to bring more queer books to queer kids in a way Hell that yeah. even when I was growing up, I didn't have. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm as you can tell, I graduated college in the pandemic. I'm 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 a I'm a spring chicken. So, <laughs> but oh, yeah, I um. <laughs> I care about books. I've always wanted to do it. I've always wanted to live in New York City and publishing is, you know, headquartered in New York City to a ridiculous extent. But, mm-hmm. you know, that was all part of the dream. Moving to New York, living my rom-com, uh, you've got male lifestyle and yeah. having coffee and books and really being a part of, you know, what books get made and, and spreading the word about them. That was the dream for as long as I knew that working in books was something you could do. It's, it's something I really wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. M- much the same. And also too, you know, Catherine and I here are a rare, not really rare, but a rare and non-editorial <laughs> voice, both of us in terms of it's not to write the books. It was to, I was a book pusher since I was young, pushing my favorite books onto my friends, making them borrow them, making them read them, uh, which I looked back on later and I was like, oh my God, I was working in sales before <laughs> <laughs> I knew what book sales looked like. So uh, yeah, very much that. And, you know, the idea of bringing the books like the books to life what interests people in a book so when you said so non-editing you mean like so non-working on like the actual writing editing production side of it more on the distribution or uh, you know other sides of things right totally okay i in my current role i don't see the books until they're like basically finished like i'm i'm I come in towards the end of the the book being ready to get released in the world. And that's when I start, when I read it, when I start to create marketing, marketing and publicity plans, when I start to uh, strategize about how I'm going to get the word out. But, um, and, and that's when I meet the author and start working on the author. But by the time I do that, it's already been through the editorial process to a large extent. We do a lot of book interviews here on Season of the Bitch. So if you ever want to put one of your authors in touch with us, I do. Let us know. I very much do. <laughs> That's music to my ears. Absolutely. This was a setup the whole time. <laughs> the woman who whose house we're staying in right now is an author and we get to stay here. So lots of collective author book energy there's books everywhere in this house to be to be clear for people that are not on the zoom call um laura and ozzy are hanging out together right now in woodland (laughs) connecticut and i'm brag yes (laughs) (laughs) i'm sitting here in my overheated new york apartment it's fine and i'm not mad anyway we miss you that's okay i'll come visit soon yes yes um Well, so I guess I wanted to ask a little bit about just what some of the issues in the publishing industry are. Um, I briefly, yeah. And just like cracked her knuckles. Like, um, I worked in the publishing industry very briefly, and I definitely feel like a big part of the reason I left was the working conditions, um, specifically like the pay being low, also not having healthcare. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious if you both could talk about issues that you've faced and then maybe, um, like more generally, just like what are common issues that people have? Totally. I mean, it, it is an industry that trades off of young people's dreams. It eats them for lunch and dinner. Uh, (laughs) it very much, you're right. It is an extremely, I think first and foremost, there's two issues. It's low paying and it's super white. It's low paying because it is a precedent set to be fair as things are currently set up books are extremely low margin items to be in the industry of there is a whole business that i do never got enough eyes on the financials to really truly understand that side of it what i will say is i believe book publishing does chooses not to reinvest whatever money it does make in this time now especially in the pandemic, when we're seeing record profits, when we're seeing so many potential ways to reduce certain costs, like office space, granted, supply chain is a hot mess, especially for publishing, that those costs are actually insane. Uh, that, you know, it's, it is about not reinvesting whatever they're earning into its young people, because they're used to exploiting them for such low salaries, because they know they want to be there for the passion, 
and not because they come into this industry, as Catherine said, to make, expecting to make money. So when I was hired uh, out of college in the middle of a pandemic, I was hired at uh, $35,000. And are you, wait, are you serious? Because I thought they raised the base salary. They did know, raise I'm the like, base salary. That, that was after I was hired for like ten years. <laughs> I I was hired and about my first paying job about I guess seven no eight years ago now was thirty four thousand and I and that was high end at the time. Yeah, I was I was hired at thirty five thousand. With that, I was asked to move uh, to New York City. Um, it was a it was a pandemic, and it was also a really big. Um, risk for them to hire me because I was not in the tri-state area at the time. It was a a real big thing that they were even going to take the risk on hiring me outside of the tri-state area, um, asking me to move when I wouldn't be going into the office for another year. Um, And this is another huge, huge barrier to the industry that keeps people from joining and also keeps it so white is because you have to be able to afford to live in New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut in order to meaningfully participate in this industry, where um, I'm going to define the big five now, uh, soon to be the big four. The the big five is the big five uh, publishing companies that control basically everything that you read. Uh, That's um, Penguin Random House. Uh, Hachette, Macmillan, HarperCollins, and Simon and & Schuster. And uh, right now, um, Penguin Random House, which as you can hear, used to be two separate houses, is now Penguin Random House. Penguin Random House is in the middle of trying to become Penguin and Random House and Simon and & Schuster. Um, so wow. that's a whole thing. And Seems so fine. It's all fine. It's totally <laughs> fine and cool. So when you have like basically every book and everyone who works in these books is being published by these big five companies that are all located in uh, New York, it's um, if you want to work in the industry, you have to move and um, you're being asked to move on uh, $35,000. It is now higher basically across the board, but at the time it was $35,000 and I'd come on and move up to the most expensive city in the world. Um, I, yeah, I was, when I, I was in a, I was in position to hire a few times and I was laughed at for interviewing out of state people because no one, people were like, why would you ever interview people out of state? And I, especially, I feel like got that from people who are maybe consummate New Yorkers, Mm. but I was like, people who want to work in publishing will literally do anything to work in publishing of course like I do not doubt that they would I do not doubt them whatsoever I think if you're out of state you're even hungrier to do it yeah um and back to the point about the divide between editorial and non-editorial jobs uh editorials again from back when I started especially it's probably still true editorial whatever we make in a non-editorial job is even lower for editorial because if you're in marketing or publicity you sort of have transferable skills or a transferable job that mm. they know you can go work outside the industry and do whatever editorial. They know, especially if you want to specifically do specifically do editorial on books, they've got you trapped. So mm. my friend's starting salary for a publisher job was 28,000. Oh my gosh. Which I'd, I'd, I'd even um, wager to say that there's even fewer um, editorial jobs out there because beca- exactly, at least yeah. there's a larger pool of people that want to do editorial because when you're a little kid and you dream about working in the book industry, you dream about being an editorial. Mm. Um, anecdotally, one time um, I was talking to an author, an author of mine, we were getting coffee and uh, I was telling her about the plans I had for her book. And she said, so you're, you're, uh, you're in marketing, you're in publicity. I was like, Yes, I am. She was like, you, so do you want to move to editorial eventually? I was like, no, I, I actually like where I am. But, but when people wow. envision publishing, they envision editorial. And mm-hmm. since everyone wants to do it, there's a smaller pool of jobs for a larger pool of people. And they can get away with really low pay and really poor conditions. Really poor conditions. Of, oh, I mean, uh, to, to talk about more yeah. poor conditions in terms of just absolute overwork uh they will ring you dry for however much work they can get out of you uh for however cheap they can get it in terms of I at companies was definitely I don't know if I have any specific instance actually no instances of both being told not to record overtime once overtime laws were actually into effect because that was not that was a few years into me working 
um, which I got a pay bump because at that point I was putting in such long hours that my boss knew they would never be able to afford paying me overtime. So they were like, we'll just bump you up an extra thousand dollars just to avoid that as a conversation. They, I got above the like threshold for qualifying for overtime just so they did not even have a conversation about it. Um, (laughs) but definitely knew people who were either encouraged not to log their hours or, uh, someone in my department who basically had to stop working because they were going to run into overtime. And that sweet employee was extremely concerned because they were like, this work is not going to get done. And I said, they're not going to pay you overtime. Stop. Just don't do it. And if the work doesn't get done, let them cut off their nose despite their face. Yeah. For my first um, six, seven months in the publishing industry, I didn't know how to ask for overtime. No one ever told me how to do it. And I was, you know, I was fresh out of college. I was a young person in my first job. I didn't want to rock the boat and ask. So, you know, I just quietly logged my overtime. Now, when we have new people join my department, Wes, one of the first things I tell them is this is how you log overtime and this is when and why you do it. Um, Because like, honestly, when people log overtime responsibly, that benefits everyone that works in the publishing industry because it creates a a realistic reflection of how many hours we're all actually working. Mm. Um, if, if we're all just locking away quietly doing unpaid overtime the way that, you know, historically has been done and the way some folks would appreciate, would, you know, wish we would do, uh, that keeps it a secret or it makes it seem like we're all still working 40 hours a week, which candidly we are not, we are Mm. 40 hours a week is the low end. It sets the standard for that amount of work will get done by this amount of people in this amount of time when that is at a default is not even true. That work is not being done in 40 hours it is not possible it's not possible it's it's purely not it's just not (laughs) let alone when someone goes on maternity leave or you know when someone's out sick or you know they're like the amount of eva email alone in the publishing industry is a 40-hour job and then you have to (laughs) (laughs) it's true i i feel like i spend i've started like carving out time in my workday just for email and then I, i blow past it every time and uh, then we're also asked to think creatively, think strategically, build relationships, um, do, a sp- speaking as a junior employee, enormous amounts of admin work, mm. just absolutely staggering amounts of admin work that um, aren't necessarily part of the job description. But if they mm-hmm. don't get done, books don't get published. And um, that's not the kind of thing you see your name in a dedications page for. Um, but yeah, it, it is essential to books making their way out in the world. This may be something that is maybe jumping the conversation a bit, but to to follow up on Catherine's point of admin tasks, if you are on Twitter and you've seen, if you follow anyone in publishing, I think it was especially a lot of editorial, but it goes for everyone in terms of a lot of people have left recently. There's been a huge mm. publishing flight in the past year, me included. And a lot of a common cause of that, which I knew people who left because of this even before, a lot of the reason you will see people leave publishing mid-career or, you know, sort of Mm mid-level is because it is impossible so often, it is so often impossible to shed your admin tasks from when you are an assistant. Wow. Especially, I feel like I need this, I'll talk about editorial since I, we do not have an editorial person here, but I know I had a lot of friends do it, especially in that case, because you will get promoted but publishing is cheap and they won't hire anyone beneath you unless <laughs> maybe you get to a certain point and then it's like, okay, we, you know, you can't, we can't justify you continue doing your admin work, but you still often the case have a boss above you who a boss isn't going to take back their, their shit tasks. Mm-hmm. So you keep having to do them on top of your own work, independent work. And so you just essentially become an assistant plus you never yeah. get to leave wow. that behind. And the bar for what's expected of you only continues to raise and so as Catherine said, like, there's just no bandwidth for trying to get base tasks done on top of, yes, exactly. Be creative, be, bring out, you know, the best of the book that you want to, if you're in marketing publicity, uh, read for editorial, so much of their outside, like the editors I knew and still know, I am pretty sure their lives outside of work are just still only reading manuscripts or editing manuscripts because you have to edit a book. Which like sounds like a dream, right? When you're outside of it, like, oh, you just get to read books all day. That's what people talk about being the dream. But like, 
No, it's not. I mean, that's why I didn't do editorial because that sounds like hell to just really do that all the time. Um, I already have a bad relationship with books now, but yeah, uh, but yeah. So it's it's very hard. They will not let you shed admin tasks, especially assistant level admin tasks, uh, until you are X X high, and they decided they can finally hire someone beneath you, or you go to a different position in the industry, and then you just kind of wipe your hands clean of it. Period. There's like getting, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm just getting weirdly emotional hearing and like lay it all out like that because oh. I don't know. I've, I've, I'm having a tough week. Lemon, it's Tuesday, but I'm having a tough <laughs> week <laughs> um, admin related um, and doing, oh. working on way too many books at the yeah. moment for, for me to give any of them their due. So, yeah, uh. I, I was just, it reminds me to, to quote another NBC property. There's like um, a, bit in the office like in the late seasons where like Dwight has to like hire an assistant to the assistant regional manager and Jim like tricks him into becoming his own assistant and it's like a (laughs) joke because it's so obviously like this is stupid (laughs) and impossible but you guys are describing like that actual situation where you're your own assistant but you're doing two people's jobs so that's wild yeah why is this office reference also making me weirdly emotional It's funny, but it's but it's only funny because it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I when I left, um, part of my my last position was social media, and so I tweeted out my job posting on the official accounts, like, "Hey, we're hiring for a wow. marketing person," and someone quote tweeted that and said, "This is three jobs. Are they fucking kidding?" And I tell you, no amount of therapy has ever come close to healing me that much. Yeah. Uh, side of my company being like are they serious because it was wow uh and it was an awful experience (laughs) oh my god well that's a great amount of validation and we love to see it okay so we get it it's bad it's not good it's not good (laughs) um but Perhaps there is some organizing happening in the publishing industry. Um, can you talk about what, um, if any, organizing efforts might look like in the publishing industry? Yeah, Without, you know, mm-hmm. threatening them or anything like that. But in broad <laughs> strokes, you know, what does or might that look like? It's really interesting because I feel like this is something that for publishing is such a legacy industry, but it really is from my point of view, such a newer thing, such a newer effort. Um, Mm. Honestly, I think one of the biggest things, uh, and don't let this discount the work that anyone is doing, but I just think sort of the biggest baseline change is Instagram meme accounts uh, have had so true. It's so true. It's had such an impact. They started as, um, what is it? XOXO publishing with three Gs and publishers Mm -hmm. brunch shout out absolute royalty <laughs> i have to explain off- the joke for a sec because that's who i am publishers publishers brunch is an allusion to uh this trade newsletter that all of us in the publishing industry get three times a day called publishers lunch oh and God. publishers lunch uh outlines all the deals that have been made for books so like this house acquired this book this editor bought this book at auction and so publishers brunch is like a very like inside joke that you would oh. really only get if you're entrenched in the industry and that's that's part of why describes all of that it it feels very personal and specific um it describes all the publishing which is just inside jokes because we're stuck in hell and that's what we have um (laughs) but the publishing pages i mean those accounts start started as memes but then especially their stories like instagram stories became such places of sharing information and Mm. um organizing of just really because in publishing i think especially before I feel like social media wasn't even quite used this way when I started of mm-hmm. sharing. You were very insular. And even within different departments in your company, you might not really know what other people are doing, what other things are like. And, you know, things are different from small publishers to big, big five publishers. So being able to talk very frankly, especially through the pandemic of, hey, what's the back to the office policies at your place? Uh, what's publishing in the course of the pandemic has, I think at least once raised sort of entry-level salaries. What's the salaries at your place? Are you getting bonuses mm. this year? What's the standard of living increases? Just being able to have a platform that pretty much everyone at publishing, even at this point, I think most managers follow yes. to understand uh, 
the sort of baseline status, be mad about it together, and then also to serve as a pseudo whisper network mm. uh, has been, I think, essential as a starting point. It's like political education almost. That's really yeah, cool. And- I can confirm, I feel very, very lucky in my team and my managers. I think one of the biggest reasons I stay is because I'm surrounded by like people that are kind and nice and like really, really try um, in a way that I don't, I mean, I've never worked anywhere else, but it's, it feels, it feels rare. Um, But I know for a fact that they follow them. I've been approached mm-hmm. by a manager at one point that was like, I saw on XOXO Publishing that people were concerned about accessibility. And so I've called this meeting with the other managers to see what we can do to improve it. Oh, and wow. Like, right? Like that feels like I don't know that that kind of change is happening at other houses, but like knowing that the managers are seeing, because those accounts are basically by and for junior employees and like mm-hmm. knowing that managers are following it feels a little bit weird but it also is like okay maybe some of them are like you know taking notes and seeing mm-hmm. like what they can do like I will also say one other thing to the point of being able to sort of talk openly about publishing experiences is that it's an industry it's, it's the rom-com industry it's super romanticized mm-hmm. so kind of having some safe places to vent about it and to talk about the the uh abuses you know, they'll be <laughs> I was gonna say you know Three Tupper. I was gonna say like like ramen meal every day. Oh my god, this is such an anecdote. But when I started, I basically would pack one Tupperware for the week and just kind of portion it out for myself oh my <laughs> for lunch. Girls, my finances when I first started were such a mess. <laughs> so bad. Um, but yeah, so there. So those meme pages are kind of baseline. But then there's also unionized under, underscore publishing on Instagram that is more focused towards actually organizing. Um, and I think that it's interesting because I don't really have a pulse on what the state of that is in every single house or, you know, across mm-hmm. the industry in multiple houses. I think everyone has a raise of awareness about it at this point. Mm-hmm. I've always known it sucks to work in this, work in this industry, but, um, Harper Collins is the only big five that actually has a union right now. Mm-hmm. Gotta and give shouts to the Harper Collins union. Gotta give shout out to Harper Collins union. It is not glamorous. It is a hard fight. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about HarperCollins online, especially on these pages. Um, they went on strike, I think, last week, two weeks ago. Um, they were striking outside of their World Trade. No, not World Trade. Fulton Center. Fulton, Fulton Street office. Uh, Hell yeah. They, whoever strike, I believe, did not get pay for the day, which is uh, shit. Yeah. But so they- moment of hope, that something that really, really gave me hope was uh, they posted a strike fund. And I think within 48 hours, maybe even less, they raised enough money to give every single striker a um, a day's pay, which speaks to me that there is a real desire for mm-hmm. unionization in the publishing industry. Um, my, I had people like above me at work who were talking very positively about the strikers and the strike fund. Um, nice. And I think we wouldn't be there without those meme accounts. It it feels a little bit like it's it's a baseline that we just have a place to speak honestly. But you know, with those accounts, I know what the expected salary for my position is. I know mm-hmm. like what other people are doing in my position. I I understand uh, what is unique to me and what is more like a typical you know situation. So that that feels really it feels close to solidarity if it's not quite there. No, I think that is. It's really, it's a very like 2022 thing. Yeah. Like, but I think anybody who's like, oh, well, Twitter, Instagram isn't real life. Like, yeah, in some ways it's not, but in some ways it like can actually work to like build these alliances that are harder to build in meat space, you know? Um, I would also like to share my favorite unionizing story, which uh, I would love to get the actual organizing gals or organizing peeps on here perspective on this, which is uh, so HarperCollins is the only big five publisher that's organized, but Seven Seas is a comics and manga publisher that recently organized, uh, had their union recognized. At first, Seven Seas, the publisher, was not going to recognize it. But basically, their union effort got so much attention online and fandom nerds bullied Seven Seas so much on their Twitter account <laughs> that they finally came to the table I do not think, I mean, basically they used to do like weekly, like, oh, today we're talking about our new titles, like every week and anything that they would respond on Twitter, like RIP that social media person, if they were a part of the organizing effort, 
but like <laughs> everything you just saw 20 not even 20 you saw a ton of people with really you know embarrassing anime profile pictures as someone who is <laughs> like just be like okay but the union though but the union though but the union and so I really think there's extreme potential for listen we need fandoms organizing potential for organizing <laughs> unions bullying works you heard it here first bullying yes. works that's amazing. no one has taken such a bold stance before well I guess I wanted to ask because I feel like y'all have mentioned this a little bit like about how white the industry is and then also Catherine you talked about kind of like wanting getting into this work because you wanted there to be more queer authors or queer stories um I guess I just wanted to ask like have those I guess how have those efforts been like what what have you seen in like that realm um, in terms of success? And then like, I guess how has that worked with like workplace, like justice type work? Like have those fights kind of gone together or what does that look like? It's a really important question. So the, the first thing I want to direct everyone on this call and everyone listening to is this article from the New York Times at the end of 2020. Um, I think it was called Just How White is the Publishing Industry? And mm. it um, it surveyed uh, like over, I'm not sure how many years, a period of like decades of all the books that came out and the authors um, that wrote them. Um, and the results are staggering. It was it was in the high 90s. Exactly. Hello. Oh, for there's, there's a kitty cat. Hell yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I can't help but say hello. His to name is Chester. Oh, Hi, Chester. Such a sweetie. Sweet angel. Um, but it is a stat, it is staggeringly white. Um, mm-hmm. and that is just the books that are being published. It doesn't quite speak to the people that are working on those books. Um, but I think my, the most interesting thing about that is you can see two huge bumps in the graph of like the, um, of people of color getting published. And one of those bumps is when Toni Morrison was hired as an editor. Oh my God. Um, yeah. You can see dramatically just her impact on the industry in that graph uh and then it goes back down when she stopped working as an editor and then you can see a huge bump in 2020 once the george Mm. Floyd pro start protest started started happening once that became very marketable yeah um, publishing started investing in it um so that speaks a lot to the types of books that are being published and um i think uh, internally, I can say from my own experience that it's very, very white. Um, I, you know, as a disclaimer, I am a white woman. And uh, yeah, the majority of my team is white women. Um, and mm. there's, you know, we can make change like ourselves. We can do our best to push the industry to like acquire anti-racist books and books by people of color and queer people. But um it's it it is it is depressingly white i would say um yeah i'll I'll gather my thoughts a little bit more because i definitely have more to say um i think the industry honestly also does poorly by the people of color that they do publish by not giving them any support once their books go out in the world uh whether by mental health or as their books are being banned you know not helping people grapple with uh you know the trauma that that can inspire um working in an extremely white industry is inherently traumatic. And if you know, if you choose to wade into those waters, you have almost no support because the people publishing you are white and it's, it's a major problem. Um, yeah, I'll gather my thoughts a little bit more, uh, but. I, here's my, here's my thesis statement on that or one of them, which is no matter how diversely you hire, if you do not have support for your employees of color, especially at higher and or the highest of levels, then it doesn't matter. Then nothing or not much changes and or two, you just, your average publishing workers burned out, your publishing workers of color, Mm. supernova burned out. It is a thing of, I think there's been some very conscious efforts and I don't have numbers, although I'm pretty sure they do do surveys of what our current diversity outlook is but it's going to be mostly entry level maybe some and some mid-level because it's easiest to hire at that level Mm -hmm. here's the thing about publishing too is a lot of people get into their positions the higher up you go up that ladder and they stay there yeah they don't leave until they retire at age 80 or they die (laughs) 
I wish that was a joke. Um, there are people who retired at the company I used to work at who then you would still see around the office. You're like, but, but they're still here making books. Oh my God, we had a leave. party. We had a retirement <laughs> party. Um, so sick of seeing you. So that's the thing is just, I saw, I had a lot of coworkers of color who just kind of, it felt like throwing yourselves up against the wall of upper management continuously. Also to God, the unpaid labor so much of, especially if you're at a house, either a smaller imprint, which is essentially, I don't think we've actually used the word imprint yet, an imprint being a division of a publishing house, whether you're at a smaller imprint or maybe a smaller house, I have seen coworkers of color have to do such insane unpaid labor of essentially like assistance just because they're the only black person mm. in this imprint being asked questions, being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sensitive sensitivity. There's yeah. a huge conversation we could have about sensitivity readers outside of this, but essentially sensitivity checks. Yeah. Uh, it is so frustrating to see. And I think this is something that I wish had clicked for me sooner. I am also a white woman because of course we're talking about publishing. Of course, the two guests are white women. But just this is something that I almost if I had a sort of actionable thing for the publishing industry, it would be if there was a real way to train in a way that was not cheesy, but a way to train white people in publishing to actually advocate for and listen to their coworkers, to their mm. coworkers of color. Because I had coworkers of color, I had some employees under me of color, and it was very much, it took longer than I wish it had now to learn how to advocate and to be what they needed me to be for them yeah. as an ally in the workplace. Um, and more so than just hiring more bodies of color mm-hmm. in the in the workplace, it's really about making sure that they are heard and respected and able to do their best work the way they want to and not the way we want to use them as white people in this industry. Mm. To add a not quite positive, but maybe hopeful note to this, um, my there, I want to say my company, but I don't want to be specific. Um, many, many companies are now hiring um, diversity, equity, and inclusion people to keep mm-hmm. employees of color from having to do that unpaid work. And um, I'll say that the, the one at my company, um, I really admire her. She's, a, she's doing really, really great work. She's doing too much work. She's being asked to to fix the entire company herself, basically without a team. Um, but the work she's doing is really impressive um, and really valuable. And she's really helped me personally and my team as a whole. Um, and then also I'll speak like as a queer woman, um, you know, I, I am burnt out, but I am also living my dream, uh, putting queer books out into the world for queer kids. And um those books simply did not exist when I was a kid. They just simply did not exist. Or if they did, they were hidden well enough for me that I could never find them. Um, And being part of the reason that there are books for queer kids, uh, it keeps me going. (laughs) It keeps me going more than I can say. Big agree. Also queer women, hugely, like that was one of the best parts of the job. And one of the things I still think is most impactful is even if one (laughs) queer child reads a book and sees themselves or a queer adult I read some of our books and was like oh my god I this affects me now I'm glad to have this now um also to just to make sure we're not saying not 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 celebrating anything um there's also a whole conversation to be had about neurodivergence in this industry um and also too like that was one of my favorite projects was working on some neurodivergent advocacy books uh that were so good so essential um I will say I did laugh that we had uh a library interviewer one time I don't think this will give me away too much but a library reviewer basically responded to one of our books saying you know I really love that this is a queer book but I just wish it was about a queer girl who also had some I believe anxiety issues in the book I just really wish that you didn't muddy the waters with this whole you know, mental illness plot line. Oh my and gosh. All of us in the office were just like, because yeah, you know, no gay person has ever been mentally ill in their entire lives. Like, 
Are you right. Do you know any gay people? Like, <laughs> clearly the answer is no, because I was like, these things basically go hand in hand. I don't understand. Um, so yeah, so there's a whole thing about you know sometimes you're fighting your industry, sometimes you're fighting reviewers or um, gatekeepers. Doesn't feel like quite the right word, but if you're talking about booksellers or librarians, there is a certain battle to be fought there. Of like, um, I definitely had some some salespeople come to me when I was in marketing and say, yeah, we just can't really get like the gay books just don't really work in, you know, X, Y, and Z region of the country. And I was like, I don't know how to explain to them that they should care about gay people. (laughs) I know. So anyway, make an effort. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to, I guess y'all have kind of been talking a little bit throughout this conversation about like small presses and big presses. So I was wondering if we could talk a little bit more just about what that means. Like does working at a small versus a big press make a difference in workers' experiences? And also it seems like a lot of those small presses are getting acquired by big presses. And like, maybe you could talk a little bit about what's going on there. I think that it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it depends. And I think that sometimes being at a big five, there's a lot of bureaucracy to deal with, but sometimes you are a little better insulated for better or worse. And also too, they are the houses that do have the most resources out of, you know, they will have the most resources. That's a ton of resources. No, mm-hmm. I big presses. Yeah. Um, but they do have sort of the, they will, you will find them more likely to invest in technology and software, which is something else I have a gripe with publishing about is that they do not invest in their worker resources, but also they really mm. do not invest in system resources mm. to support Some of the you. systems I use on a daily basis look like they were built in the 90s and have not been updated since. With, not even when I started, when I was working my entire time in publishing, our inventory system looked like it was the program from Ghost or some <laughs> icky little guy was going to come out and murder me through it. Um, so it was not Patrick Sarkozy. I don't think that was the but, um, so they, so I think a big five, you'll be more likely to have some more resources, smaller press. I think honestly, in both cases, it, I want to say in my experience, and I think in Catherine's experience too, she mentioned this, the best the best variable is your manager, is your team. Mm. Um, a good team will advocate for you and will make your conditions as shit as they will be kind of de facto the best possible, which is my early years. I had the best boss I will ever have, I think, ever in my life who advocated for me, looked after me both as a worker and as a person, um, a great squad of coworkers across sort of team and department. Um and some people there too, who were, you know, I had a coworker who was kind of the angel on my shoulder. Who was like, have you put money into a retirement fund yet? Have you put money into a retirement fund yet? And I was like, I was like, Anne at this moment wants to eat. Anne at 60 can go shove herself. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, Relatable. But, a retirement fund for me is a, I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> exactly. But uh, small houses, I don't want to say de facto, they're not good. It's just, I think they are more likely by necessity to kind of squeeze as much as they can mm. out of its employee base. Uh, my, I worked at some smaller presses and again, the lack of resources, both being, you know, a, a tonight C team and also to just kind of not having infrastructure, both infrastructure that can be paid. And also to, I did have a situation where I was at a place that had no infrastructure in terms of documentation or processes or anything like that exactly when I got to my current job and they actually trained me I had to tell my managers I was like please don't mind if I cry because I just was not trained in my last position so yeah uh it's too real academia edition yeah (laughs) I can't speak to the lack of training um that was certainly my experience as well I've worked at both I've worked at a small press in in indie press and I've also worked at a big five. And um, I agree with everything Anne said. Um, small presses do tend to do to fewer resources. They do. T- they expect you to make miracles with not a lot mm. to draw on. Um, larger presses are certainly more resources, but also um, lots more corporate speak, I'll mm. say. 
you have a little bit less freedom to um, be creative, be mm -hmm. independent, chase down ideas that you, you know, you don't have proof that they'll work, but you just really, really feel that they'll work. Um, and there's just a lot, I spend a lot more time emailing at a, at a big five than I did at an indie press. I spend a lot more time uh, bogged down in systems and trying to learn systems that again, weren't, you know, renovated since the nineties. And it's, um, it's, it's truly, it's truly a lot. And I also just do feel that like, there are, there are way fewer indie presses now than there were even five years ago, even 10 years ago. And, um, I alluded to it earlier, but Penguin Random House, the largest publisher in the entire world, is trying to acquire Simon & Schuster right now, which is, I think, currently the third oh largest gosh. publisher. So that, if they... That sounds right. Yeah. So the, they're currently being sued by the Department of Justice uh, <laughs> to try to, um, to prevent this sale from going through. Um, oh, my God. Stephen King actually took the stand today and was very funny and charming. And I think everyone was a little starstruck by him. He, uh, he introduced himself as a freelance writer, which is a very good joke. Um, <laughs> but he's, he spoke to the fact that um, consolidation is just a bad thing for the industry in general. It, they say that, you know, they won't create fewer jobs, but like, if you know if penguin and random house and simon and schuster is a thing then there will be fewer books acquired there will be fewer mm. houses to acquire those books it will probably drive down advances for authors um mm. which will limit the amount of people that can try to be a full-time author and can try to get their their book published and there will be you know publicists will find their lists going down marketers will find their lists going down and there will just be fewer less competition in the industry which just leads to um, more of the same, I, I think. We'll, we'll see fewer options for people to sell their books. And I think that's just in general a bad thing. Um, so we're getting to the end of our time here. And um, we just kind of wanted to, A, thank y'all for coming on. And B, see if there was anything else that you wanted to share with us about the publishing industry. Um, I think for me, um, there's a lot of problems and, you know, there's a lot of things you're not aware of when you're a kid dreaming of it, but um, I'm still in it. And at the moment, I think I might be a lifer in the industry. Um, people, yeah, you know, people call the, uh, the publishing industry an apprenticeship industry where, you know, there's, there's the masters and there's the apprentices and, it's an issue if you don't um, improve conditions for the apprentices where they leave before they can ever become masters, then we're going to have a big problem. But um, I love the people I've gotten to work with. I love the books I've gotten to work on. And um, I think that publishing can become better. And I, I think I have seen change already in the couple of years I've been here and it's slow, it's painfully slow, but um, I do love what I do. Um, and I think that is the core of the thing. No one would work in publishing if they didn't really, really love it. And I, and I do truly love it. My cat laid on my keyboard. So if anything sounded weird, that was him. <laughs> no, that was you perfect. Uh, it sounded better, actually. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, for as much as it is an industry that will cash in on, you know, people's dreams and fervor for it, it is an industry that is so much better because it is full of people who are big dreamers who are so passionate about what they do because so much about publishing is because one editor noticed a manuscript. It's about one publicist or marketer who picked that book that was going to be that, you know, the publisher only had mid-level expectations for it. And they said, I love this. I'm going to personally put this into everyone's hands. And that's happened. And that's the, that is when publishing is truly at its best. Uh, not to mention all the amazing people who work behind the scenes who don't usually get any credit from uh, production to customer service type jobs. And I just want the industry to be better for them. I want this industry to be better, not to burn and raise it as much as I want to sometimes, but <laughs> for it to actually improve itself. Um, and yeah, I don't know if I can say I will never go back to it, but also for anyone who's listening, if you are truly miserable, just go, just get out. I promise you, it's fine if you're not the main character. You will be fine in another job. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and lastly, it, it the lastly shop independent shop at your local independent shop bookstores. at your local indie bookstore and yeah. this is and i also want to give a quick shout out to all the assistants of publishing i see you you are <laughs> the backbone of the industry uh i would write you in every uh dedicated um what's it called acknowledgments i would i would dedicate every book to you i would write you in every acknowledgments mm -hmm. page there is i'm obsessed with you and you're all icons go assistants <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you all for joining us. And um, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, after thank, that. You. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. Seriously. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for coming catharsis. on. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, um, check out all the amazing things that our guests mentioned and then send us some money on Patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. Uh, if you sign up there, you can join our discord where you can talk to us in real life and maybe a reading group if we ever decide to do that again. Book related. <laughs> also, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at season of the bee. Email us seasonofthebee at gmail.com or even visit our website seasonofthebee.com and rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us today. Woo! Get your freak on! <laughs> <laughs> Love y'all. Love you. Love y'all so much. Bye. 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 Bitch. Oh.